0: I'm giddy, dare I say, as a schoolgirl. That's kind of a weird expression, isn't it? giddy as a schoolgirl? What do schoolgirls have to be so giddy about, right? <laughs> I, it's like I got an A-plus on my quiz and Johnny asked me to dance. <laughs> I, I'm really glad that you're here and I'm really glad to be preaching for you. My name is Ben, I'm the interim pastor here. And although I am giddy, I do have some bad news to break to you. And so I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this is going to be the last installment of our a new look at some old stories uh, preaching series, so can I hear a collective aww, oh, yeah, but the next one's going to be great, so don't stop coming, I know you like the Old Testament, but we're going to get into the New Testament too, which is going to be great, um, it's, it's been kind of funny because every single week the text has been uh, a text that has a great popular song uh, that goes with it, right, I one week I sang, Go Down Moses, and uh, John was talking last week about um, uh, another song. I don't, it was the J- Joshua Fought the Battles of Jericho song, and this week you got them bones, them bones, them dry bones, right? But I, I didn't bring my guitar, I'm not going to sing. Oh, uh, uh, another, oh, uh, again, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's probably okay, it's good to mix it up a little bit. Uh <laughs> Uh, but as fun as that song is, um, this is kind of a, a funny story because this is, a, this is really a, one of the darkest times in the history of Israel right here. And so um, if we really dig into the story, it's really kind of dark. Um, and and what, another funny thing about it is it's not really a story at all. This is the, a new look at some old stories, but this isn't really a story. It's a sermon where I'm preaching... A sermon on a sermon. So, if it's a little weird, then I I totally blame it on that. It has nothing to do with my preaching at all. It's because I'm preaching a sermon on a sermon. I promise. But, um, but it's this amazing visual. Ezekiel really needed a sermon, and God gave him this vision. And he says, "Give this vision to the people." And so, um, as since it is a vision, I want to share a video with you because I think that seeing it will do so much more than reading it or hearing it. So um, as God gave him this vision, Ezekiel probably saw something like this. Take a look.
1: The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. He said to me prophesy to these bones and say to them dry bones hear the voice of the lord i will make breath into you and you will come to life then you will know that i am the lord so i prophesied as i was commanded and as i was prophesying there was a noise a rattling sound and the bones came together I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, and say to it, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life, and stood up on their feet. A vast army.
0: It'd be pretty crazy, right? see that. Um, I never really thought about it until I watched that video. But he doesn't prophesy any clothes into the story, and uh, there uh, it was a vast army of of naked guys, I guess. Uh, the uh, uh, this sermon is definitely taking a turn for the awkward between me being giddy as a schoolgirl and the naked guy in the video. I should probably stick to the script, right? <laughs> Seeing it kind of really brings it to life, though, right? Pun intended. It it really brings it to life. Today, there's one question before us. Who are you going to call? When there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters, right? (laughs) If there's something weird and it won't look good, you call the Ghostbusters. When you need a plumber, you don't call a mechanic. (laughs) When you need a doctor... Who do you call? You call a doctor. (laughs) When God's people are scattered and lifeless like dry bones in a valley, who does God call? God calls a preacher. When things really get rough, who do you call? Call on your preacher. (laughs) What? That seems kind of strange, right? We don't don't want to call on the preacher when things get rough. God sends a preacher. God sends a preacher to his lifeless people. Is a preacher what we want? Not really. It Mostly in our culture, preaching is kind of a negative term, right? Why are you getting so preachy with me? I don't want to hear your sermon, right? But when, when things get really hard, when night is at its darkest, God sends a preacher. In the dictionary, one of the, term, one of the definitions of preaching is to give religious or moral instruction, especially in a tedious manner. <laughs> Man, in a tedious manner? I, I hope I'm not being tedious, or I hope I can avoid being tedious. <laughs> One of the definitions of sermon is an often lengthy and tedious speech. <laughs> Man, i got to get up and give a tedious speech now? <laughs> Maybe we preachers have lived up to that expectation <laughs> maybe we're, we're to blame for that, and I think that's true. I, I, uh, I'll own up to my part of that. I lived up to the stereotype sometimes. Um, it's there for a reason. In my time, I've heard enough tedious sermons, so uh, I really think that the Word of God speaks life into our lives, and I hope that it does that today. In our Bible, we see preaching at its best. We see a vision for God a vision from God about what preaching can be. We see preaching that lives up to God's expectation. So often, when things get really rough, God sends a preacher. Maybe part of the negative stereotype is because preachers get under your skin. Preachers make claims about life that hit a little too close to home. Who needs that, right? (laughs) When Jesus comes to the Pharisees, he says, I am the truth. And the truth will set you free. They say, We are never slaves to anyone. Who are you to say we need to be set free? When somebody says, I'm gonna set you free, you have to acknowledge that you're bound. What do you say? <laughs> Preaching is a finger pointing business. And that's that's really kinda now now, now see a preacher when you're cracking jokes, it, it was fine, but now We talk about preaching being a finger-pointing business. I don't like that at all. One of my professors at seminary says that all you need to be a good good preacher is one long, bony finger and a big mouth. (laughs) The longer and the bonier your finger, the better. (laughs) I know for a fact that there were some long, bony fingers in that dry valley, and I bet we're going to find some bony fingers in this room today. I hope so. Because the world, when the world is at its worst, when things are at its darkest, when things get really rough, God sends a preacher. Let me tell you a story. It's about a woman named Mary. Mary's life came to a screeching halt the day that her brother fell ill. She was always in, he was always in great health. He was athletic and young. And illness came. It came all at once. <laughs> There was nothing that any doctor could do. Who do you call on? Mary and her sister Martha put everything on hold. None of the day-to-day business mattered anymore. They stopped everything to be with her brother. Who are you going to call? Who do you send for? Mary calls for a healer, right? She sends for Jesus. Her sister sends for Jesus. They send the word, Jesus, your beloved, Lazarus, is sick. Mary sends for a healer, but she gets a preacher. Preachers have a way of always coming at the most inopportune time, right? (laughs) We're good at that. Not only are we pointing fingers, but we come when you don't want us. Preachers come when the last thing you want is a sermon. (laughs) Mary wants a healer, but Jesus doesn't come. The story is in John chapter 11, if you want to look it up. It it tells tells us when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. Two more days? What kind of healer does that? (laughs) Time is of the essence when you're talking about healing, right? (laughs) What does Jesus do? He gives a sermon. Jesus points his bony finger miles away toward Lazarus, and he turns his bony finger on himself. Jesus preaches, he opens his big mouth and says, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of the Son of Man, the Son of God, that this has happened. We need haste. We need haste when we need healing. Jesus says no. Jesus waits two days, and Jesus gives a sermon. (laughs) By the time he actually gets there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. What was he waiting for? Jesus is like the pizza delivery guy who puts your pizza in his car, go home, and he takes a nap before he brings your pizza. (laughs) You're sitting at home and you're thinking, man, it's like two miles away. I could just go get there, going back like five times before that guy gets here. My stomach's growling. (laughs) You're thinking, sheesh. Why does Jesus wait? Where was Jesus when Lazarus was dying? Where are you, Jesus? Why, Jesus? Why aren't you here with me? (laughs) This is the question that everyone wants answered. This is the question that burns in the hearts of Mary and Martha. They have been grieving their brother for four days. And for days before that, they sat by his bedside helplessly. Helplessly as he slowly died. So what do you think? What do you think they say to him when he shows up? They both greet Jesus with the same words. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus comes to them, only Martha goes out to meet him. Mary stays behind. Why? Mary is the one who, in a couple days, would pour expensive perfume over Jesus' feet and wipe them with her hair. She soon would be wiping her feet, Jesus' feet with her hair. But this is not today. She stays in the house today. Martha goes out, but Mary can't bring herself to do it. Four days. She has been grieving her brother for four days. Grief is different for everyone. For most, it is an ebb and flow of emotion. The absolute shock of the initial loss is replaced by a chilling numbness. The surreal wonder and sincere death, the surreal wonder and sincere doubt that any of this is really real. And then tears flow for days as you suddenly are hit with reality. It all sinks in. The rollercoaster of emotion from unstable to numb, like quiet, quiet rain clouds that burst into deafening torrent are your tears. Suddenly, you can't help but sob. You think this is what it was like for Mary? She was in her stage of numbness, maybe. And then when she heard that Jesus was coming, maybe she felt angry. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why, God? I really needed you. I need to know that you're here for me. Where were you? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. We sent for you days ago. Why did you wait? And the extended family is in on it, too. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man save this one that he loves from dying? Their tone is dripping with cynicism. They are people who, who doubt every claim that Jesus is making. If he is who he says he is, why didn't he help his close friend? Where were you on that one, Jesus? He was right where he needed to be. He loved this family so dearly. He loved them intimately. He knew these people, and that's why they took his absence so hard. When Mary finally comes to him, she falls at his feet weeping, and Jesus' heart breaks for her. He is moved in his very core. Jesus wept. This is a profound statement. It is his own verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. It deserves its own verse. This is not some esoteric proof that Jesus was human just like the rest of us. This is not some negligible detail. This is the God of all creation weeping with a family that is experiencing loss and grief. This is a God who knows suffering. This is the God who's well acquainted with grief, the God who loves you like a father and has a plan for your life. This is the God who mourns when that plan is cut short. This is the God who wants that plan to come to fruition. But this is a God that has more than that. Where were you, Lord, when your beloved Lazarus died? I was right where I needed to be. That is, this is your God who will not stand idly by while you suffer, but this is the God who does something about it. When Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, he makes a promise. He says, This sickness will not end in death. He's not predicting the future. He's making a promise. He's resolving. He's refusing to let death have the last word. This sickness will not end in death. And Lazarus died so that you can hear this promise. Lazarus died as a sermon illustration. <laughs> So that, so that Jesus could point his bony finger, his bony preacher finger into his grave. And he says, this sickness will not end in death. Lazarus died as a sermon illustration. So that Jesus could come and say, Lazarus, come out of your grave. Think of Lazarus needing the sermon more than anyone else. Lazarus needs to hear that his sickness will not end in death. What is your sickness? It does not matter. Your sickness will not end in death. Martha and Mary cry out to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. Your brother will rise again, Jesus says, for I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will not die. And even though they die, they will live. This is the sermon that Mary and Martha needed to hear. This is the sermon that Lazarus needed to hear. When life was at its darkest, Jesus points his long, bony preacher finger At Lazarus, and he says, your sickness will not end in death. (laughs) And then he turns his finger on himself and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is true. This sickness will not end in death. Is true because I am here for you. Who are you going to call? When the world throws the worst at you, when the world gives you all that that it can, when life can't get any darker, who do you call? Call for a Preacher. The night could not get any darker for God's people. Ezekiel lived and wrote in one of the darkest times of the history of Israel. Ezekiel was a priest. His whole life was centered on the temple and, and all the rituals that go with that. And the, and the temple had fallen. The temple represented the presence of God for the people of Israel. And so the fact that it had fallen was catastrophic. It meant that God wasn't with the people anymore, as far as they knew. Ezekiel devoted his life to serving God in that temple. But he wrote on the day that he was dragged into a a foreign land. For generations, all of Israel's kings, king after king, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the people did not care for the widows and orphans. They oppressed the poor. They cheated each other in business. And they sold their daughters into prostitution. They bowed down to idols. They even sacrificed their children to idols. God's call to Ezekiel is one of horror and grief. In chapter 23, he says, Son of man, will you stand up against these wicked people? Will someone stand up for what is right? For the sake of everyone who is suffering because of their wickedness, will someone point their bony finger and declare all these detestable things that they've done? the night could could not get any darker for God's people their city was burned their temple was destroyed there was famine and starvation Ezekiel's wife died many people died and the ones that didn't were enslaved when the night couldn't get any darker God calls a preacher God sends a preacher God showed Ezekiel a valley covered with dry bones scattered and lifeless bones that had been bleached by the sun And he asks Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? God only knows is his answer. It's the only way that he can think to respond. He says, God tells him, point your bony finger at these dry bones. Open your big mouth, and these bones will come alive. Open your big mouth, and these bones will have breath in them again. Point your bony finger at the wind and preach, so the breath will come into these bones. Point your bony finger, and these children of God will come alive. And I will call the dead out of their graves and th- by the voice of my preacher. I will join these bones together, bone to bone, so that they will have their own long bony fingers, and I will put breath in their big mouths. The, the, wor- the work of God's preacher is resurrecting preachers. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the life lived in faith. And that life cannot be taken away by death. I have come, and by my words, you will have life. You will have abundant life. What is your sickness? What do you bring to the table? St. Paul writes this, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one that's doing wrong. It is sin that's living in me. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. But I want to do what is right, but I can't. Oh, what a miserable person I am. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Who will free you from this life that is dominated by death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you know and see how it is. In my mind, I really want to do God's only holy law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And now I know there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. What is your sickness? You are no more self-reliant than Lazarus was as he lay in his tomb. <laughs> the difference is that everyone knows Lazarus was dead. <laughs> I'm walking around with the illusion that I'm not. <laughs> I want to show you another video. This is a man named Nick Vujicic. He's a man that uh, he was born without arms and legs. <laughs> he knows this reality, this this falseness of self-reliance more than most people. He wears his brokenness on his sleeve for all to see. He stares at it in the face every day. And he doesn't have the luxury of denial that I do. <laughs> because, of that, because of that, he understands the gospel so much more deeply. He understands his need for a preacher. And because... It, god gave him a preacher and his mom he can't help but proclaim take a look
2: from the moment he began to share his amazing story with me i witnessed firsthand how god is using a man with no arms and no legs to be god's hands and his feet
3: my dad was saying that he was you know his head was next to my mom's head as uh, as i was being born and he saw my shoulder and he just went pale he was hoping my mum didn't see me because he saw that i had no right arm and my dad had to leave the room and he couldn't believe what he saw and the doctor came in and my dad said my son he has no right arm and he says no your son has no arms or legs and he said he nearly fell on the floor he couldn't believe it and the whole church was mourning you know like why would god let the pastor's son be born that way and my mom at first she didn't want to hold me she didn't want to you know breastfeed me and all that um... she just felt very uncomfortable for the first four months and it took them quite a while before they could trust in God that he didn't make a mistake that he didn't forget them or me
2: Nick's parents gave their fear and even disappointment in their son's disability over to the Lord they chose to trust God and his promise that he had a plan and purpose a hope and a future for their son but as the years passed Nick on the other hand had many challenges trusting in a God that he felt gave him less
3: I challenged God I said God I know that I'm a sinner I know that I won't probably have peace until you're in my heart but I will not let you in my heart until you answer me why why did you take my arms and legs why didn't you give me what everybody else has and I said, God, until you answer me that question, I will not serve you. And So I wanted to end it. If God wasn't gonna end my pain, I was gonna end it myself. So at age eight, I tried to drown myself in a bathtub or four inches of water. I told my mom and dad, I'm just gonna relax in the bathtub. Can you put me in the bathtub? And uh, yeah, I turned over a couple times to see if I could do it. I couldn't do it. Um, the thought that stopped me from going through with it was the love for my parents um because i I love them so much and all they did was love me and i thought to myself if i actually went through with this i pictured my funeral i pictured my parents and also was guilt on their shoulders that they couldn't have done more
2: that would be the last time nick would attempt suicide but it wouldn't be the last time he would come face to face with those deep issues that made him want to end the pain then one day, Nick's mother had him read an article about a severely disabled man. And that man's story made a huge impact on Nick.
3: (laughs) I have a choice to either be angry at God for what I don't have or be thankful for what I do have. And my mom, she said, Nick, God's going to use you. I don't know how, I don't know when, but God's going to use you. And those seeds started penetrating in my heart. And that's when I started seeing, that there is no point in being complete on the outside when you're broken on the inside and I found out that God can heal you without changing a circumstance. I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I read John 9 at age 15, where a man was coming through a village and a man, um, this, this blind man from birth, Jesus saw him. People said, why was this man born that way? Jesus said, it was done so that the works of God may be revealed through him. And in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, it says, all scripture is God breathed. And I believe God breathed in me life and faith. This faith came over me. This peace came over me. And I felt like God answered my question.
2: And what was the question and what was the answer?
3: The question was, why? Why did you make me this way? And the answer was, do you trust me? That's the question. And when you say yes to that question, nothing else matters.
2: But what was it specifically for you that made you say Lord I'm gonna trust your word because I know it's true I'm gonna trust you even if I don't know what you have in store for me tomorrow
3: right because there was nothing else I could find
2: mm.
3: there was nothing else that could give me peace I knew arms and legs wouldn't give me peace anyway arms and legs alone um, I needed to know the truth of who I am why I'm here and where I'm going where I'm not here and I haven't found that truth anywhere else but in Jesus Christ.
2: And it was in Jesus Christ where Nick found the strength to do what many thought would be the impossible.
3: It's so hard to be strong when people constantly say you're not good enough. You you know, go away. You know, we don't want anything to do with you. Nick, you're a nobody. Nick, you can't do this. Nick, you can't do that. Nick, 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 Nick. In life, if you don't know the truth, then you can't be free. Because then you'll believe that the lies are the truth. But once we realize that when we read the word of God, and you know the truth of who you are, I am not a man without arms and legs. I am a child of God. I am forgiven of my sins. I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm nothing but a servant of the Most High God. This is not about Nick. It's not about Nick's capacity and capability to become this conqueror. I am nothing. I'm nothing. God, though, lives in me. And I now live in his strength. And whatever Jesus conquered, I conquer. I believe if God doesn't give you a miracle, you are a miracle of God for somebody else's salvation. And I thank God that he didn't answer my prayer when I was begging him for arms and legs at age eight. Because guess what? Because I have no arms and no legs, he's using me all around the world. And we've seen so far, approximately, This is conservative. 200,000 souls come to Jesus Christ for the very first time in the last six, seven years. Mm. And what would you rather? Would you rather have arms and legs neck here on earth and no arms? No. Whatever his will is. Because I'd rather have no arms and no legs temporarily here on earth to be able to reach someone else for Jesus Christ and then spend eternity with them
0: there. I would rather have no arms and legs and be able to reach people for Jesus Christ. Did you hear what he said? He said, I am nothing, but God lives in me. And I live in his strength. God sent Nick a preacher, and God resurrected him. God made him into a preacher. Hear the word of God and hear and know the, the truth of who you are. You are no longer a sinner, you are a child of God. Hear and know the truth of who you are. You are forgiven of your sins. You are the ambassador of the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is not about your capacity. This is not about what you can do. This is about what Christ is doing through you. What is your sickness? The word of God today is your sickness will not end in death. This sickness that burdens you, this darkness that hangs over you, the addiction that binds you, the lies that the world tells you, about yourself. All these things are undone today because Jesus Christ has come into your tomb. Jesus Christ has come into your grave and called you out. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Shake off your grave clothes. I am the abundant life that I'm giving you. Jesus points his bony finger at you and he calls you out of your tomb. Shake off your grave clothes. This sickness will not end in death. Breathe it in. Breathe in the gospel, breathe in that life, breathe in that air, this, breathe in this God's word. Breathe it in so you can exhale it, so you can open your big mouth and become a preacher. <laughs> breathe it in so you can breathe the word of the Lord on those around you. <laughs> Scripture tells us, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him who they have not known and whom they have not believed? And how they will believe without hearing? And how they will hear without a preacher. Will, will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. <laughs> how can the world believe unless you are sent out? I am sending you out now. Go out into the world that is dying to hear preachers. It's time to get out your bony finger. <laughs> get it out. Stick it up. This is your bony preaching finger. <laughs> <laughs> Get it out, but be careful with it because it's dangerous. You can point this at people and condemn them. You can say, you know, you're this or that. Or you can point it at them and say, I'm coming to call you out of your grave. I'm coming not to condemn you, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. But I'm coming. I'm coming. Turn to your neighbor and point your bony finger at them and, report it and repeat after me. Say, Christ is in you, for there is no condemnation in Christ. Your sickness will not end in death because Christ died for you. God sent you a preacher so that you could go and be a preacher. Go and do it. Go and be a preacher. Share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. We're called to reach out to the world. And share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Go and do it. Your dry bones have been given breath and life. So that you can go and give breath and life to
1: this dying world. Amen. Let's pray.